Please be advised, this podcast contains graphic audio and themes that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Jay County Police and Fire, what's the address of the emergency? Yes, ma'am. I, it's um, a big explosion come at 8777 at um, compliance. I'm sorry, 8777 what? Um, wait one moment. Shimoka Furman was the overnight security guard at Champlain Towers South, and we first met her in episode one. She was out in the street covered in dust, trying to explain to Surfside police officers what had happened and how she'd gotten out alive. But she made this 911 call seven minutes before the tower went down. She says something about an explosion. She forgets the building's address. And then she says something about an earthquake. I think they said earthquake. I'm sorry, what? Hello? After the call cut off, the building creaked and groaned and held. But the clock was ticking. What was happening? How and why was this building suddenly just falling apart? I'm Paul Bieben, and in the next two episodes of Collapse, Disaster, and Surfside, we are going inside the active investigation into this catastrophic structural failure. And we're going to start by reconstructing and analyzing those final seven minutes. And the way we're going to do that is through a handful of survivors and witnesses, what they saw, heard, and did. A security guard, a young family, a couple driving home from dinner, a tourist, a woman with a guardian angel, and a model who watched the structure cave in around her. So I went to go take a shower and I like, I came out of the shower, I dried myself and I was like about to get dressed. Then I hear like a big boom and I was like, oh no, something's not like right. And I just like, I ran out of the bathroom and I like, I checked and I thought, cause like, felt like the whole ceiling was like collapsing. That's Hani Near. she's 15. And she lived in her family's apartment on the first floor, just down the hall from the lobby. About the same time security guard Shamoka Furman was calling 911, Hani was up late getting out of the shower. She told the Washington Post she had barely put on a bathrobe when her mom shouted for her and her older brother to run for their lives. We were like the first family out, and then there was like another family who just came out and they came from the elevator, and they're like, you don't even understand, we felt like rumbling like inside the elevator. Then you see like slowly by slowly, like this part is like falling, and this part's falling, you're just like, is this building falling? Is this building not fall- gonna fall? Is it like an earthquake? Like what's going on? Within a day, maybe two, of the collapse, a security video was posted online. That's Sarah Blasky, the Miami Herald's lead reporter on the collapse investigation. It was a security camera motion activated. It was on a pool deck of a building next door. And what it showed was the center of Champlain Towers caved in on itself. And then the ocean-facing units, they also fell a couple seconds later. I think in total, the collapse took 13 or 14 seconds. The video Blasky is talking about is the only one that shows the building slump into a cloud of dust. But what's just as important is what the video does not show, the timeline of how the building fell apart before those final horrific seconds. 
We thought that 13 seconds was all the time people had. We thought that 13 seconds was the entire collapse, that at one moment, this tower was standing, and then 13 seconds later, 81 of the 136 units had pancaked to the ground. But it turns out that wasn't the case. There was actually a seven-minute sequence between an initial collapse where part of the pool deck failed, and when it failed, then there was a sequence that turned into this tower coming down, what we all saw. What? Yeah. Hold on. Okay. I'm trying to check them. He's mapping at 88th Street in Collins Hurry up! Hurry up! He's, re- big he's, he's reporting a collapse in a garage. In our last two episodes, we followed the search and rescue mission from the beginning to the bitter end. And now we're going to spend two episodes following the search for answers, which is far from over. And we're going to hear what the Miami Herald's ongoing investigation is uncovering about this building's design, construction, and its final moments. Engineers call the type of collapse that happened at Champlain Towers a progressive collapse, meaning it starts small. It's a localized failure, maybe just one disconnect somewhere in the structure. And then either due to damage or degradation or poor design, that collapse progresses and becomes worse and worse, almost like an avalanche, right? As things build and get worse over time. And that's what happened at Champlain South. Before the sun even rose over the rubble, Sarah Blasky and the rest of the Herald's investigative team were trying to find an answer to the question the world was asking. How a modern high-rise could just fall down with seemingly no warning whatsoever. Within a couple of hours of the collapse, my bosses called me and said, figure out what happened. Why did this tower collapse? They quickly ruled out natural disaster as a possible cause. It wasn't an earthquake or a sinkhole. So what was it? And had anything like this ever happened before? I went through a long list of hundreds of collapses throughout the last 200 years, and I did it worldwide. And I found that buildings do not just randomly collapse in the middle of the night. Champlain Tower South collapse has something different in at least one way from all other modern collapses. So think about it this way. Usually when buildings fall, it's actually not a huge failure. The roof caves in or a balcony falls off. That's the most type, common type of failure. And if a building does fall, floors pancaking down on top of each other, it's usually because of an earthquake or a landslide or some other type of natural disaster. In very rare instances, it's because of a terrorist attack, the Twin Towers in New York or Oklahoma City. And and even beyond that, when a tower does just fall, it either falls right after it's constructed, as in there is a design flaw, there is an error, and it falls almost immediately because it, it was designed so poorly, or it falls after it's been standing for hundreds of years. It's an old, old building. Or it falls while it's under major construction, as in there's damage that was done acutely during construction. Champlain Tower South fell in the middle of the night when it was not under major construction, It was a total mystery. (laughs) 
When the building went down on an otherwise unremarkable summer night, it was just six months shy of its 40th birthday. Surfside was an outlier, an event almost completely unheard of. The Herald's team started with the basics. They barraged the city of Surfside with requests for records. And within 48 hours, the 2018 inspector's report we've been hearing about was released. The report said that for 40 years, water had seeped through the pool deck and damaged the garage below. It was evidence of a long history of serious problems. Champlain Tower South was a flat slab construction. Basically, what it means is this is a reinforced concrete structure where a slab, the floor, would sit on top of columns all the way up, right? You had columns, slab, column, slab, column, slab. You can picture how it would be stacked on top of one another. That's the primary structure. Those are the bones of this building. But why did those bones just break after almost 40 years? The Herald hired Dr. Dawn Lehman to help its reporters find out. She's a professor of engineering at the University of Washington, and she's an expert on buildings just like Champlain Towers South. And she started with the pictures of the disaster. One of the things we've done is we've gone and looked at photographs, not just after the collapse, but after they cleared the entire site, and we see damage in the perimeter wall that is not indicative of the kind of damage you would have seen from the collapse. We see damage in an area that I call the slab-to-wall connection. And so we saw after they removed all the debris that it looks like there's damage, and we also saw corrosion in that steel. And so based on that, we started investigating, could the failure have initiated at the southern perimeter wall slab connection. So the professor is saying the damage in this critical connection between the slab and the wall could have been there for years before the collapse and would have weakened it. Outside, this giant slab was the pool deck and valet parking area, and it extended inside the building as the entire first floor of the L-shaped tower, the lobby, the gym, the nears, and other apartments. Underneath it all was the parking garage. So this slab was a major part of the structure, but even if it failed, it shouldn't have brought more of the building down with it. It's important to remember that buildings are built with a lot of redundancy. One thing is supposed to be able to fail, not that you want it to fail, but if it did fail, it shouldn't take down the rest of the structure. That's not how buildings are built. And so for something to progress like this, this badly, is extremely unusual. We're talking about something initially failing, almost like starting a chain reaction, a domino effect. And you actually saw what should have happened at Champlain South, and you saw what shouldn't have happened. And what I mean is, only half of the tower fell down. The half of the tower that stayed standing did exactly what you would expect a building to do in that situation. It stood. And the question is then, why did the half that fell fall? What starts coming to light here as you dig into the building plans and the engineering and you start doing load calculations and all of these things that forensic engineers do, you start realizing that poor design, poor construction, degradation, and damage come together to create the perfect storm of conditions that end in the worst-case scenario in this part of the building. 
Professor Lehman recreated that scenario using a supercomputer and special software that modeled how the collapse might have unfolded, starting at that retaining wall. So it's really not the wall itself. It's the connection of the slab to the wall. We've built an entire model, and then we looked at the reinforcement that was connecting the slab to the wall, and we see corrosion and see if fracturing the bars at that southern perimeter wall could allow progression of the damage collapse into the pool deck and then eventually move into the building. And so the question is, what happened first? And and how do we know? Because this is the middle of the night. You know, not a lot of people are up at one in the morning, but there are about 10, 11, 12 witnesses to various aspects of the initial collapse sequence prior to the tower going down that allowed the Miami Herald, along with these other records, to start reconstructing what happened in the seven minutes in between an initial failure on the pool deck and when that tower went down, that part that we can actually see in the security um, camera footage from next door. The first people in the building who started to notice something happening were the Near family. Hani, whom we first met at the beginning of the episode, her mother Sarah, and her brother Gabe. Hani was in the shower. Sarah was checking emails and texts. Gabe was hungry. They'd all gotten home late. At about 12.30 a.m., Gabe Near is cooking salmon in the kitchen of their first floor apartment, Unit 111. That's right up against the pool deck. They can walk out their sliding glass door from their apartment right onto that amazing pool deck right on the ocean front, right next to those glass doors, it's probably about 12.50 a.m. when they start hearing the hammering. Sarah Neer says she thinks it's a neighbor putting up paintings or something on the walls, but it gets louder and louder over the next 15 minutes until about 1.14 a.m. when the sound kind of changes to a Boom, boom. Sarah Neer remembers the time because she looked at her WhatsApp messages before she went out to report to the guard because it's gotten out of hand. So she walks down the hallway at 1.14 a.m. And, and says to the guard who is sitting near the front entrance of the building, her name is Shimoka Furman, that she's heard these sounds. And, and Shimoka Furman agrees. She's heard some odd sounds too. Sometime around the time that Sarah Neer decides these noises are too loud and Shamoka Furman hears a boom, boom, there are two people driving into the underground garage. And this is Nicolas Vasquez and Jimena Cardi, who are Argentinian soap opera stars who have a home in Champlain South. They drive through an area that video evidence would show the ceiling had collapsed in just minutes later. They drive through that area, see nothing, pull into their parking spot, hear something very loud and strange, but they don't see anything to explain what they're hearing. When Vasquez and Cardi drive into the garage, they pass directly under where the pool deck meets the Nears apartment. Nicolas Vasquez posted a statement about that night on YouTube. Here's the first part. We came back from having dinner 
I parked the car as usual in the garage and we heard a really, really loud sound. But we just had no way of knowing what it was. And then they go to the elevator where they get in and they start going upstairs. And so all of this is happening while Sarah Neer is hearing these sounds. She's running to the guard, Shamoka Furman. They're discussing the boom, boom. Is it the elevator? Obviously not, since Nicolás and Jimena are in the elevator at this point. There are these loud sounds that they acknowledge. Sounds like boom, boom, according to Shamoka Furman. But no one on the first floor or in this basement-level garage, you know, this underground parking area that is the foundation of this building, no one sees anything. If concrete would have fallen, if, if some large chunk of concrete from the pool deck had caved in while they were down there, it would have been dusty, it would have been loud, it would have been clattering, it would have hit cars— but they see nothing to explain these sounds. So something is failing, but it's not visible. And it's not visible because what's failing isn't the concrete, it's the rebar inside of it. So you wouldn't have seen it, but you definitely would have heard it as the rebar somewhere inside the pool deck was breaking. Any kind of damage there would be buried in the slab. So if the damage initiated there, if the sounds that some of the residents and other eyewitnesses were hearing, no one would have actually been able to see it because it's all buried inside of the concrete. That is the actual sound of steel rebar snapping inside concrete in Dr. Lehman's lab at the University of Washington. I know from doing the kind of testing that I've done in the lab, so I build Concrete specimens could look something like a slab wall connection. I built slab column connections. And when you hear something that sounds like boom, boom, distinct sounds like that, rather than one sort of continuous cracking sound, the boom, boom indicates to me that it, it's, it could be reinforcing bars fracturing because they're individual bars and they would not all fracture. At the same time, there would be a progression to it, so you would hear a pause in between it. And the other thing is, if those reinforcing bars are still covered by concrete, you wouldn't be able to see anything. You would just hear something. So essentially, these steel bones within the building are starting to snap, but you don't yet see it. But this point in our story, in our timeline of our eyewitnesses, we think we're looking for a failure on the pool deck, but inside the pool deck, somewhere where a lot of rebar broke in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Shamoka Furman later described these sounds as a sequence of defined booms, but she thinks they're the elevator. This is an old building. The elevators had problems in the past. It's kind of a safe assumption. And the reason that she says is because she didn't hear any alarms go off. If it was something more serious than the elevator, she thinks there would have been an alarm. And as she's telling Sarah near this, they hear this sort of thrum 
is how she describes it. They hear this incredible crash of concrete, like a wave. A wave, the great estruendo. That's what Janet Rodriguez called it when we met her back in episode two. She was the home health aide who was shaken out of bed all the way up on the ninth floor when the pool deck plunged into the garage. Sarah Near was just a few feet away when it happened. Sarah hears the sound from the lobby, runs and looks out across the pool deck. There are these big windows at the end of the lobby, floor-to-ceiling windows, looks over this valet parking area next to the pool. The pool deck and the valet parking area have collapsed into the basement below at this point. She says it feels like she's in a movie. She can't believe what she's seeing. And she immediately thinks that there's been an earthquake. And I said, run, it's earthquake, run, 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 fast. We heard like another boom while we were still in the lobby. And then we like ran outside and see like the whole pool area is just gone. And I said, no time, we need to run. At that exact moment, as the pool deck collapses, the elevator carrying the two Argentinian soap opera stars up from the garage arrives in the lobby. The elevator stops in the lobby. Nicolás Vázquez and Jimena Cardi see a scene of chaos, right? They see smoke. They hear the deck collapse behind them. It must have been incredibly loud. It's it's right behind them. And they run out of the building through the front doors. Let's pause here for a moment in the chaos on Nicolás and Jimena and their incredible fateful timing. If they'd driven in just seconds later, they might have been crushed while they were still in their car. And if they'd gotten home just a little bit earlier, the elevator would have taken them up to their apartment before the pool deck crashed down. They would have been home when the seven-minute collapse sequence began. They escaped through a window of time only a few seconds wide. In the six or seven seconds that we got in the elevator, the elevator moved. It stopped at the lobby as usual, and suddenly there was a cloud of dust, a loud thunder, as if a... Uh, we had no idea what happened, really. We didn't know if it was a tornado, a terrorist attack, something out of a movie. We started to run with three or four other people that were there. There weren't many of us. They were terrified. We were all terrified, obviously. And that's when we realized that part of the parking area had fallen. All these cars had fallen through. Alarms were going off. It was insane. Those three or four other people were Shimoka Furman, the security guard, and the Near family. Hani and her brother Gabe ran out of their apartment down the hall to their mom, Sarah, who was at the front desk talking to Furman. They run down the hall to effectively the guard station where their mother is. And, uh, you know, the mother's saying, pull the fire alarm, call 911, there's been an earthquake. And, and then the family also leaves out the front door. But hang on a second. As she escapes with her children after the pool deck collapsed, shouting earthquake, Sarah Near is telling the security guard to pull the fire alarm, which must mean that the alarm was not going off, at least not that anyone could hear.
the fire alarm has been activated at this point. Herald reporter Sarah Blasky. It's not clear exactly how or why, if it was the deck collapsing onto the sprinkler system or if the guard did pull the fire alarm, but ultimately the the system logs show that the fire alarm should have been going off. We don't hear the alarm in the back of any of those calls. And so, so that's something that, just keep that in the back of your mind as you hear the rest of this story. When the pool deck collapsed, the alarm system did send an electronic signal to a company called Central Alarm Control, where an actual person then picked up the phone and called Miami-Dade Police. Miami-Dade Police. Hello, this is Central Alarm Control. We're calling in a fire alarm for business. Give me one second. Mm-hmm. What's the address? The address is 8777 Collins Avenue. 8777 Collins Avenue? Yes. What kind of alarm did you say? Uh, fire alarm. What's the name of the account? It is Champlain Towers South. So the fire department has been called, but the alarm is not going off inside the building. Nobody else is getting a warning. So far, five people have run from the building. The three members of the Near family and the two Argentinian soap opera stars. The guard, Shimoka Furman, stays behind. She told the Herald she didn't feel right about leaving. She felt like she should stay. She made two calls to 911 that the Herald has recordings of, one at 1.16 a.m. Furman's call at 1.16 is the one we heard at the beginning of the episode when she says something about an earthquake or an explosion. We now know that was the pool deck collapsing. That call cuts off after less than a minute. Seconds later, just after 1.17, Furman calls again, trying to explain what's going on. Yes, ma'am. It seemed like something uh, underground, everything exploded down at 8777 Collins, okay, Avenue. Do we have a call already? We have help on the way out there. Okay, thank you so much. She describes the underground garage. Everything exploded down is a phrase she uses. She's trying to describe it to the 911 operator. And again, the fire alarm has been has been activated at this point. The deck has collapsed. We know Sarah Neer saw the collapse all the way to the far edge of the pool deck. But But what were the other parameters of the collapse? And this is where our other witnesses start coming in. A tourist from next door. Her name is Adriana Sarmiento. She had been sitting on the pool deck, hanging out, when she heard this incredible sound and felt this wind. And she looks around to see what on earth that could have been. When the deck collapses, it creates not just a sound, but it it forces air out through the entrance to the underground parking garage, which just happens to be pointed at the pool deck of the hotel next door. Suddenly, Adriana hears this giant noise and then feels this wind. And she sees through the ramp to the underground parking garage that the ceiling has caved in. She sees large chunks of concrete. Collapso. 
We leave our room for the pool area around a quarter after one. I sit in an open space in the pool area and I feel a collapse, boom, and a puff of air, a wind kicked up after the collapse of the roof of the parking area. A wind came out of the garage because the area where we were was in front of the garage. We had a line of sight. This wind passed in front of me and moved the plants in front of me, but didn't move those where I was sitting or in other areas. That seems strange to me, because the wind only hit in one area, and the car alarms began to go off, and water started streaming from the building pipes, and I began to look around everywhere and try to determine where the sounds were coming from, because it was strange and I knew something was happening. The hotel security came up to us, and she points to the parking area where the roof had fallen in, and so we went over there. And when I see the roof of the parking area, practically all of it in pieces on the floor, and the broken tubes that were gushing water, I say to the people with me, my husband and the security for our hotel, I say, this is going to fall. And they say to me that it won't. And she pulls out her cell phone and takes a video. The timestamp of this video is 1.18 a.m. And in this grainy footage, you can see a column in the underground garage. And the column has a number on it because these are, these are parking spots, right? They're all numbered. And the number on this column helped the heralds identify where this rubble was. And so if you were in the garage and you looked up at the ceiling— under that area where this rubble was, you would have been in the patio right outside of the sliding doors of the Nears apartment. You would have been on the pool deck in this patio right up against the edge of the tower. So what does this mean? What it means is that this is a critical piece of evidence that helps support Professor Lehman's model of how the damage that eventually brought down the tower started some 80 feet away. Sarah Neer saw it all the way to the southern edge of the pool deck. Adriana Sarmiento's video showed that it extended all the way to the northern edge. In other words, this initial collapse was the entire pool deck of that section. It, it spanned the entire way between that perimeter wall and the edge of the tower, but no further. Remember that Gabe and Chani Nier were in their apartment at that time. The floor didn't fall. So while Adriana's video does show that the pool deck collapsed right up to the edge of the tower, it doesn't show the damage extending into the tower. And so the mystery continues. How did the damage eventually end up in the tower? Why did it create this collapse? So it's 1.18 when Adriana Sarmiento shoots her video. The tower will fall in four minutes. Five people have escaped so far. Only two more will make it out, with just seconds and inches to spare. That story and so much more on the next episode of Collapse, Disaster in Surfside. Coming up on Collapse, Disaster in Surfside, the Herald's investigation turns up a possibly fatal flaw. 
these connections between the slab and the column were not secured with the amount of rebar that was planned by the engineer. A tale of two women, what a narrow escape, and a final phone call tell us about how the building went down. She makes a choice that saves her life that day. Instead of turning right, she turned left, and she is 40 feet from where Cassie Stratton stood on the other side of that fault line, talking to her husband on the phone. One woman lived and one woman died. Also, the complex and heartbreaking court case. Who's to blame? Who's going to pay? Neighbors turn against one another. I don't need my watch, my jewelry, or my possessions. I I really just want my life back. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that there are a lot of hard feelings in this case. We cannot equate losing an apartment and furnishings to losing a life. My heart is shattered into a million pieces and beyond repair. All that and more ahead. Collapse, Disaster in Surfside is produced by Treefort Media, the Miami Herald, and the McClatchy Company. Visit miamiherald.com forward slash surfside dash podcast, that's all lowercase, to learn more about our investigation and to read articles mentioned in today's episode. And if you can, please rate the episode as well, as it'll help others find our podcast. Our hearts and our admiration go out to our guests who have so bravely shared their stories so that we may bring to light the many stories of all the people impacted by this tragedy. We also want to thank the experts who have joined us for sharing their insights. Special thanks to the team at WLRN in Miami, as well as CBS 4 News in Miami, for sharing supplementary materials to help us tell this story. Special thanks to the team at WLRN in Miami, as well as CBS 4 News in Miami, for sharing supplementary materials to help us tell this story. Collapse, Disaster in Surfside was executive produced by Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman for Treefort Media, Monica Richardson and Rick Hirsch for the Miami Herald. I'm your host, Paul Bieben. The series was written and produced by Eric Salant and me, Paul Bieben, for Treefort Media. Editing by Maxwell Carney and Abigail Sullivan. Mixed by Maxwell Carney. Treefort Head of Audio is Tom Monahan. Line produced by Oscar Guido. English translations by Anne Liu and Lindsay Whistler. With additional production assistance by Jared Brom, Haley Mandelberg, Colin Motel, and Lindsay Whistler. For the Miami Herald, Monica Richardson serves as executive editor. Managing editor is Rick Hirsch. Senior Vice President of News, Kristen Roberts. Senior Vice President of Advertising, Tony Berg. McClatchy Managing Editor, Cynthia DuBose. Audience Development Editor, Adrian Rui. Miami Investigative Editor, Casey Frank. Miami Herald Senior Editor, Dave Wilson. Miami Herald Information Services, Monica Leal. Copyright 2021 by Treefort Media and the Miami Herald. Sound Recording Copyright 2021 by Treefort Media.